Otherwise, it's on my pieces of paper here that I can go through. So anyway, so I want to pick up, uh, even though we're going to go through Romans 12, we're going to be starting, uh, I think, in verse 9 there. But I think a good segue into what we'll cover today in Romans is found in John 17, starting in verse 14. Uh, if you have a King James Bible, I will be using that for Romans. However, uh, for this portion of John, I like the ESV version that they give us, so it might look a little different than yours. This is a prayer uh, that Jesus had in the garden shortly before he would be arrested. Uh, this is a portion of that as he's speaking to his Father uh, in heaven. He said, I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in your truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake I consecrate myself, that they also may be sanctified in truth. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, it's you and me, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe <clears throat> that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one even as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and love them, even as you have loved me. Father, I desire that they also, who you have given me, may be with me where I am, to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundations of the world. O oh, righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you. And these know that you have sent me. In this last part here, I made known to them your name. And I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. You can turn over to Romans. If you're sitting here this morning, <clears throat> redeemed in Christ, the Holy Spirit of God is in you. Just think of that for a moment, the audacity that the Spirit of God is in you. Galatians 5.22 tells us that the fruits, or the fruit, evidence, the evidence of the Spirit of God in you is love. We have a new identity in Christ that is evident with the Holy Spirit in us. 2 Corinthians 5.17 tells us if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Galatians 2.20 tells us I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. If you're born again here this morning and the Spirit of God is in you, the question is how is your reflection of love this morning? And maybe better put, how is your reflection of Jesus how is his reflection in your life? Romans uh, 12, we're going to start in verse 9 through 21, I believe gives us a good window 
or I should say a mirror, to look into, to analyze ourselves where we're at currently. Are we quenching the spirit in any way uh, where agape love is not coming from our lives as it should be? And to be clear, these verses that Paul is going to spell out in Romans is not, here's your to-do list, and you do these things, and you will be saved. That's not how it works. We, we know that. We've taught you that here. These are not steps in order to make God accept us. It is, however, expected that we behave this way because we have a new identity in him. Because Christ has saved us, this is what we are going to do. Ephesians 2, verses 8 through 10, reiterates this where it says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship. You're constantly being worked on. We're created in Christ Jesus for the good works after you've been redeemed, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. The day that we received our new identity in Christ and ever since, the Holy Spirit's been working on our lives. And some passages of Scripture that we can read in the Bible give us a good idea of what is our status report. Where are we at? How am I doing, Lord, with you? Where do I need to improve? What do I need to work on? And I think Romans 12, uh, 9 through 21 is one of those places. So, Starting right off in Romans 12, verse 9, it says, Let love be without dissimulation. Abhor that which is evil. Cleave to that which is good. Love. That is the agape love that Paul writes out there, agape love. Um, I used this definition probably a year or two ago, when I one of the last times I taught, uh, where we can define that as self-denial for the sake of another without any expectation of reciprocation. You're not expecting anything in return. You're denying yourself for the sake of another person, and you're not requiring anything in return. That's what Paul is speaking of here with agape love. But let that love be without dissimulation, or otherwise let it be genuine. Let it be without hypocrisy. You're not looking for anything in return. There's no ulterior motive that I'm going to do this or do that with expectation of getting something in return. Because honestly, if we are only giving love with expectation of something in return, you're really just looking for a business transaction. That's what it is. I'll do this or I'll pay you this, you give me that, or provide this service, whatever it is. You might as well call it a business transaction. That's not love. That's not the love of God. It is not any expectation of getting anything in return. There is to be no bitterness. There's no to be uh, begrudging when we carry out um, acts of kindness and love in our interactions with each other. And if we keep the proper perspective, we understand that Jesus Christ himself, you know, he tells us that while we were his enemies, he died for us. He paid the ultimate price for us while we were still his enemies. So for us to be able to do things and to bless other people, to love on them, be self-denying uh, to bless other people should not be with hypocrisy where we're gritting our teeth and doing it just because really we're hoping that they're going to do something in return for us. There's no bitterness there. So one thing I want to remember is this is not about feelings. When we talk about love, it is never about how I feel. It's not your feelings. Love is an action. It's a verb. Ken Graves listened to a study that he had done once we actually watched it for Fight Club, this last chapter, one of the uh, things he said there is you can't feel your way into right living, but you can live your way into right feelings. And that is true. I think that is true, that you might not feel like 
you love somebody, but you are required to act in a loving way towards that person. That's the first thing we hit here when we look at reflecting where are our lives at right now as a believer in Christ. But he goes on and says, Abhor that which is evil, that is to hate it, to shudder it. You find horror in it, anything that is not holy or pure. And obviously the first thing that kind of pops into my mind, it always has probably since I've, I've read the Bible, is you know what is, what is my ideas of entertainment and would Jesus be happy with them? Uh, it's always a good place to start when we read something like this, boring that which is evil, would Jesus find my ideas of entertainment acceptable? He's with you in the room, whatever it is you're watching, whatever it is you're doing. Uh, it's not like he's just up in heaven millions of miles away. He is with you. So the question is, is he in approval with what's going on? Or is there areas of compromise that I have to address in my heart and in, in my actions that should be dealt with here? Uh, Paul you know, 1 Corinthians 10, 23, he said, all things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful, but not all things are building up. It's what we do build us up. And that's what he finishes this verse with. Cleave or hold fast to that which is good. Cling to it. Cling to the good stuff. You know, what is profitable spiritually, mentally, and physically for your life? Cling to these things. What's profitable for your family? What is going to build up your family and yourself? Cling to these things. Focus on them. If your metaphorical hands are clinging to that which is good, there is no opportunity to cling to anything that is bad. There you have no opportunity to hold on to the things you should abhor that are evil. Um, and I, when I think of clinging and onto the good things and letting go of the bad, it reminds me of Hebrews 12, verses 1 through 2, where it says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside or cut off every weight and a sin which clings so closely. And let us run with endurance the race that is before us, looking to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. He despised the shame, thinking nothing of it, and he's seated at the right hand of the throne of God. You know, sometimes we need a spirit cleansing uh, in our lives rather than a spring cleaning. Um, and as spring comes upon us, I think these verses are a good reflection to just kind of clean us out a little bit as we go through them. Verse 10 he says, be kindly affectioned one to another with brotherly love and honor preferring one another. You know, there is an underlying bond when you talk about the existence of a brotherhood, uh, the, the, the bond of a brotherhood, whether it's a biological, uh, uh, whether it's an adoptive brotherhood, uh, military. They always, you hear them talk about the brotherhood uh, in the military and even Christian brotherhood. Quite frankly, uh, Christians really have all of those in existence in a brotherhood because we are all uh, equipped with the Imago Dei. We all have the image of Christ, Genesis 1, 26. You know, let, them make, let us make man in our image. We all have the biological brotherhood. We're all from Adam. We all have been adopted into the family, as Romans 8, 12 tells us, for you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. And we are all soldiers in this cause for Christ. In 2 Timothy 2, 3 through 4, share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian uh, pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. So, you know, we are to sacrifice ourselves for the brotherhood. And although right now in America that's not like a, a literal sacrifice of life for life, 
per se, at least not in, in, in uh, the near term, as it is for some of our brothers and sisters around the world, especially in Afghanistan now. But we are called to probably lay down our agendas at times, where we need to put our schedules aside to be there for a brother or sister in need uh, that might kind of be inconvenient. But again, the first verse we looked at in this section is about agape love, which is denying self. It's about laying yourself aside for the sake of another. And you're not doing it like, hey, I'll come to your house and help you out with this as long as you turn around and you help me with my stuff. No, it's I'm going to bless you because you need the help, whatever the case may be, without any requirement of repayment for you. And I love the second part of this, in honor preferring one another, or I think the ESV has it as you outdo one another. You make it a competition, trying to outdo each other, blessing each other in a way that is competitive. You know, I think competition, bringing competition into things can be very advantageous. Um, I think it's in our nature to be competitive. Some of us want to compete more than others. Some of us want to win more than others and get maybe an attitude more when we don't win than others. But... It's in our nature to be competitive. And Paul is saying here, in honor, try to outdo each other. Try to show more honor to your, your brothers and sisters than they are showing you. And if we were to really do that, I, I wonder what it would look like. I think it'd be pretty close to about as close to heaven here on earth that we could get to if we really did pursue that towards one another, if we take God's word literally of what he's saying here and carry this out. But again, it comes back to denying ourselves and blessing other people instead. He goes on to say, not slothful in business, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. And now this business is not the kind of business that we uh, mentioned earlier where it's going out into the stores or anything like that. This is your actions what your daily business is, what your life is, to not be slothful in your daily activities, right? to give it your best, to not be lazy. It's very easy. We as human nature, we usually will look for the easiest path. Right? We want the easy way out, but we're told do not be slothful. Colossians 3.23 says, and whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not unto men. This is an act of worship. If we approach the things that we aren't really too excited about doing and we approach them as I'm going to do this as an offering of worship to my Father, it can change your heart, it can change your perspective, and it can change uh, your outlook in doing these tasks. Um, for whatever reason, Jeff brings it up a little bit too, we kind of have an issue when it comes to driving and dealing with other drivers. Uh, I don't like other drivers. I'm a bad driver. I, I've come to confess that. Um, I've had too many accidents to not confess that I'm a bad driver. But in my mind, I think I'm an extremely intelligent driver. And everybody else is pretty dumb. And they don't get it. And I have very little patience when I am on the road. Uh, especially because I get behind the people that have to do a 53 and a 55. And I'm wanting them to do 60 anyway. But the fact that they won't even do 55, that just burns me. And my wife will tell me, you know, this doesn't happen when I'm driving. It's only whenever you're driving. It's probably the Lord trying to teach you patience. And that just, you know, that always is just kind of like, I don't want to hear that. 
because I probably believe that it's true, um, unfortunately. So, but, and I'm not perfect in this, and I really probably not giving it my 100%, but it is something that I know can be used as a tool to train me in being patient and applying uh, this idea that I'll make it my act of worship to be patient on the road because patience is, according to 1 Corinthians 13, where it gives you all of the attributes of what agape love is, patience is on there. It's patient and kind. And I don't have that when I'm driving, so if I turn it into an act of worship, perhaps my perspective can change. But anyway, enough of my driving. So slothfulness, you know, to be diligent to follow through on things, <clears throat> to not just be settling for good enough. I think, unfortunately, we get that mindset. Like I said earlier, we like to take the easy path out. We think it's, it's good enough. Everything is just, it's good enough. And there's a balance there because some of us might be perfectionists and we take things to the extreme. But we should be striving to give our best. And yeah, somebody else's good enough might be better than our best. But that's not under our control. We can only control our behavior and our willingness to do the best that we can do. I'm going to be uh, completely honest with you. Uh, sometimes, uh, we, we use this in sports, sometimes the best ability you have is availability. Your best ability is availability. You might not be the best, but you're willing to do it. You know, I'm going to be honest with you. When they ask me to lead worship, I'm thinking, I can think of a lot of people that do a whole lot better than I can. I am not that skilled at a guitar. I can play some chords. That's about it. There's a better skilled guitar player sitting in this room. There are better voices in this room. But I finally reached a point where it's like, you know what, Lord? They asked me to do it. I'll do it. It's not about how I sound. It's not about how I play. It doesn't matter what songs I pick out. I'm available. I'll do it. And yeah, and I resorted to the fact that it's okay that there's people that are better than how I can do it. That's not the point. The point is I'm going to be willing to do it because I've been called to do it. Same thing with teaching. You know, there's guys sitting in this room. I love to hear you guys teach. I would rather you were up here. But I was asked to do it. So I'll do it. It's not, I'm not, it, it, you can get very prideful when you think that there's others that are better than you at it, so I'm not going to do it anymore. You have to be careful. That's your pride getting in the way of what God is asking you to do. Who cares if there's better people at it than you? You know, going back to sports, some of the best athletes are hardly ever on the field. J.J. Watt, if anybody knows who that is, that guy, he's in his, pat, in his prime, he was unstoppable. The guy hardly ever played a full season. There's running backs out there, super fast, really good. They're hurt every year. So what good is it? If they're just sitting on the sideline doing nothing, I don't care how skilled you are. If you're not out there performing, what does it matter? Be available. If God calls you to do something, who cares if there's somebody that's better at it than you are? If you're the one that's been called on to do it, be faithful to step in and do it, not to be slothful. All right. <clears throat> fervent in spirit. That word fervent is to be hot, to be boiling. That's what fervent in spirit is. This is where we get our saying, he's on fire for the Lord. They're fervent in spirit here. You know, and the way that we gain that is to be completely submitted to the spirit of God. We're emptied of ourselves. We can be filled with God's Holy Spirit. It's in his will and his control. And when we allow the spirit to fill us, he also overflows us like a boiling pot would. 
and that allows it to carry over into the lives of other people around us. And, and kind of bringing this back to verse 9, where we talked about getting rid of evil things, you know, there's no room for cold. There's no room for the world's cold to enter in because we're sold out for Christ fully. The Laodicean church was not fervent. They allow both hot and cold. They allow, the, yeah, I'll do the church thing and I'll follow God, but I still want to have my pursuits for myself. And I bring that together, and it creates this lukewarmness that Jesus says, I'm going to vomit you out of my mouth. But to be fervent, to only allow what God has desired for our lives to penetrate our souls. Now, whatever tasks we perform, to finish up this verse, serving the Lord, whatever tasks, whatever responsibilities you perform that you just don't enjoy, turn them into an act of worship. Turn them into an act of worship. It should result in an attitude change. And if your perspective is, I'm just trying to please my coworker, I'm trying to please my boss, and it's not to please the Lord, you're going to be disappointed. This is something else the Lord's been pressing on me, too. I have a coworker who is very demanding, and we're supposed to be coworkers. But I think he thinks that he's my boss and I'm his secretary. And it gets really frustrating sometimes. And it's in those moments where it's like, I'm angry because I did it to please him, not because I want to please the Lord. And, and Paul talks about this in Galatians chapter 1, verse 10. He says, for am I now seeking the approval of man or God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. Keep the proper perspective. Verse 12 says, Rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing instant in prayer. This is a complete thought of Paul. This is all tied together. I like to look at this verse. When I read this this week, I consider this to be a synergenic verse. A synergenic verse. You take them into three pieces, they're great. But when you put them all together... There is much more power, there is much more value within them when all three are put together as one. Good statements in themselves, but so much more together. And the first part, rejoicing in hope. Not asked to rejoice in our circumstances, but in hope. This hope, this is a confident, a confident hope. Right? This is an expectation. This is not the, the wishing well hope where people decide to just toss their coins into a wishing well and hope that something happens in their life. This is a I know so hope. My Savior is risen. The tomb is empty. He's been seen by over 400 witnesses. The prophecies have been fulfilled and the end days prophecies are unfolding before our very eyes. I have an expected hope. This is the hope we are to rest in. Because you know what? If we were asked to rejoice in our circumstances, that would be a pretty lousy verse that nobody could keep. Bottom line. You know, because sometimes our circumstances can be pretty bad. Whether we suffer loss, whether we have pain, we're in despair. That is not what we are called to rejoice in. We are called to rejoice in this hope. You know, I think about it. I was thinking about this too. I have never heard an expectant mother say, I cannot wait until I go through that pain. That is going to be so wonderful. If you have, you probably need to get them into a home. But they go through that with the expectation of what's going to happen, what they're going to have afterwards. You go through the pain for the joy that comes after, not in the midst of that pain. And that's what we are seeing here, rejoicing in the hope, patient in the tribulation. Again, 
you don't have to like your uh, circumstances you find yourself in. You're not asked to like the circumstances you find yourself in, but you are called to be patient in them. And that wonderful, that, that should really be a four-letter word. Uh, sometimes in our fleshly lives is patience because we don't like to hear it at the very time that we need it. It's the time we don't want to hear it um, is being patient, but it is necessary. And we're told to be patient. Mounting pressures could be your tribulation, burdens that you're facing, afflictions, anguish, distress in your life, calamities that have come your way, or straight up persecution from others. As much as we want to get out of those situations, we are oftentimes called to patiently endure. In fact, Jesus, in the prayer that we read to start off this morning, said just that. He said in John 17, verses 15, he said, I do not ask that you take them out of the world. I don't ask that you take them out of this tribulation that's in this world. I just ask that you keep them from the evil one, that they don't fall into temptation, essentially. Don't take them out but keep them from the evil one. There's a reason that we go through what we go through. We aren't going to necessarily know why. It's not for us to, I mean, we can ask why. There's nothing wrong with asking why. Might not get an answer, but there is a reason we go through what we go through. We just don't see the whole picture. We, have to, we don't have that ability. God sees the whole picture. We just are called to trust him in the midst of it. Right? And sometimes our amount of patience to deal with things can be directly linked to our trust in our Lord, or how close of a fellowship we have with God, which is the last half of the last little piece of this, this verse here, continuing instant or being constant in prayer, always in the presence of God in prayer, keeping the lines of communication open to the Lord through your prayer life. Prayer is talking. I don't care if it's sitting in a chair, if it's on your knees, I don't care what position you're in. If you're prostrate and you're flat on your face, you're walking down the street, you're in your car, you're speaking, you're having conversation with your Lord, you're in constant talk with your Savior. That is so essential for all of this verse to come together. In war, breaking the communication of your enemy is essential to victory. Disrupting communication lines. You better believe the devil knows that. And he will try to disrupt the communication lines between you and God as often as he can. And he'll do the same thing in your marriage, trying to disrupt the communication in your marriage and all of your other relationships as well. Got to have that line of communication. Why? Because God wants to hear from you. 1 Peter 5, 7 says, cast all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. He cares for you. You're going through tribulation. It's not because he hates you. It's not because he's mad at you. He, he cares for you. He's going to see you through this. And you need to tie all three of these pieces of this verse together. That's why I, I say it's, it's like a synergenic verse. That you rejoice in the hope by being patient in tribulation and being continuing in prayer of your Father. That's how we're going to patiently endure and keep our hope, is being in constant contact with our Savior. Moving on, verse 13. Distributing to the necessity of saints given to hospitality distributing uh esv says contribute to the needs of the saints share with the needy pretty straightforward share with the needy well i already tithe and and i really don't have a lot of money left over to go any further it doesn't say anything about money it doesn't say money 
You know, it could very well be you have a garden. Produces more than you can manage. Give it away. You have fruit trees. Produces more than you're going to do anything with. Give it away. But let's go even beyond that. What skill or what knowledge do you have that you can pass on to somebody else that could use it? Pass it on. Use what you have. Again, like we said earlier, it's about availability, being available. Sometimes they, somebody just needs you to be a friend. Somebody just needs you to be a counselor. Somebody needs you to be their coach over a situation, and you're there. And this is how you contribute to the need of your brothers and sisters. It's not about money so often. We can kind of get that trigger in our mind that that's what it talks about. I'll just throw a few dollar bills out there. No, sometimes it's your time. Your time is way more valuable than any money you're going to give away. It's your time. So, and he says, given, given to hospitality, or in other words, seek to show hospitality. Love on strangers, even when they're not friendly, even when they're not friendly, you know. Well, and I, and I, I can be guilty of this, even here among you guys. I'll acknowledge them if they acknowledge me first. How many of us have done that? I'll say hi if they say hi first. Well, then nobody says hi, and then we all look like jerks. So how about we just be proactive? Be proactive. And this is the same not just here at church, but also out and about. Cell phones for the last 20 years have been a detriment to this, our ability to interact with each other, especially when we're out in public. Um, this uh, kung flu pandemic, as Eric Metaxas likes to call it, um, has also wreaked havoc on our ability to interact with strangers in the stores uh, with the mask situation. It, it, think, I mean, really, you, when people are wearing masks, number one, you don't know what kind of face they're giving you. They're so it kind of pre produces like a lack of trust. Like, are they giving me a look right now? They could be smiling for all that. I don't know. People are wearing masks. And so it, it just creates, causes us to become more and more reserved and just stick to, I'm just going to stick to myself. I'm just going to mind my own business, do my own thing. But that we would be willing to step out, to be kind, to be that person that's going to show love and kindness to other people. Given to hospitality. Hospitality is to be friendly, to be warm, to be kind, to be generous, holding the door doing these different things that are getting lost in our society. The church is to be upstream from culture, not downstream. We are to influence the culture, not let the culture influence us. Proactive. You know, I, been, another thing the Lord's been working on me on, I live on Middle Reservation Road, and I know a lot of the people that drive that road when I go by. And uh, when I'm driving by and they're driving the other way and I'm looking at them, like, do I know this person or not? And if I know them, are they going to give me the, or not? And I wait, and I wait, and wait, and then they give it to me, and I'm like, oh, I didn't get it to them in time. They probably think I'm a, like, I just don't like them or something, or I'm just being rude because I didn't give them the wave back. They gave me the wave. Why don't I just give them the wave? Who cares? I can remember growing up. <clears throat> My mom's from Iowa, and uh, I can remember growing up, and we'd be driving down the road, and she'd, she'd give the wave, and be, I'd be like, who's that? Oh. In Iowa, that's just what you did. Didn't matter if you knew him or not. Just wave. You could have some fun with that, you know. You think about it. You just start waving to everybody. How you doing? You know, 
they start getting driving by people, and they're looking back like, Did I, do I know that person? And that gets their mind working a little bit. You know, we could, we could use that in life these days. You know, but being hospitable, to be friendly again, that should start here with us. We have such joy that we can bring to this world. We have Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world. We should be the ones bringing hospitality into the lives of people in the world. Without question. Verse 14, bless them which persecute you, bless and curse not. <laughs> I looked up what the word bless is in the Greek. It's uh, eulogio, which is where we get the word eulogy. So let's reread this. Eulogize them which persecute you. Let's think about that for a minute. Nobody's getting it. I thought this was quite humorous. <laughs> eulogize. Meaning you're at their funeral, eulogize them which persecute you. I thought it was quite humorous myself. But that's not exactly what he's talking about here. It's to speak well of them. Right? When you go to a eulogy, it is pretty rare that you're going to have a lot of people go up there and say, that guy was a skunk. He was awful. You know, most of your eulogies are how wonderful the person was. Because, you know, when somebody dies, every single person is an absolute saint. Just every eulogy seems to be that that person has lived the greatest life that has ever been lived, um, and everybody just loved them. You watch all these shows, the person that dies, nobody hated this person. They were the greatest person ever. You know, and it's, it's, we just do that in our minds, and that's what a eulogy really is. It's, it's to speak kindly. You're speaking kindly of the person. So, and that word persecute is, can be used to mistreatment harassment you face, trouble you've gone through, um, or somebody that drives you away. So in other words, you are to speak well of those who mistreat you. Speak well of them and curse not. Do not wish ill against them. You know, I know I'm pretty guilty of this when it comes to our political theater. Um, but it's, it's going after the policies, I think, more than it is the individual, because I don't know these people individually. I don't know them personally. So who am I to go after them personally? I can go after their policies. And it's the same thing we've heard the saying goes, hate the sin, not the sinner. That we don't go after the person's character. If they're in the wrong, we speak to the wrong that is being done by these individuals, but that we're not slamming them. And I think this is especially true, uh, those of us that are married here, when it comes to our spouse, when we get in a disagreement, that we are not going to speak ill of our spouse to other people, co-workers, or anybody else. That's between you, your spouse, and the Lord. And it needs to stay there. That you're not putting your spouse in a bad light with other people where it doesn't belong. Bless them which persecute you. Bless them and curse not. All right, we need to get moving so I don't keep you here for too long. I mean, I know you guys don't have a game to go watch this afternoon, so it should be good. Rejoice with them that do rejoice, verse 15, and weep with them that weep. This is very similar to Ecclesiastes 3, 4. There's a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance. We need more celebrations. We just need, we just need more celebrations. Just celebrate things. Have people over for dinner just to celebrate something. You know, I think the Jewish people, they seem to have like a celebration for everything. I think that's great. Because you're going to have enough downtimes and enough dis uh, you know, disappointments. And you're going to have enough uh, discouraging days. The having the days of celebration are needed to keep us carrying through. Oh, my child's home. Let's have a party. Child's home. 
maybe from overseas or from college. Just have a party. Cancer free. Let's have a party. Find out that news. You know? I got my wisdom teeth removed. Let's have a party in a few days when I can actually eat something. <laughs> you know, whatever. And weep with those who weep. Obviously, we, we can think of the death of a loved one when we read that, but it could be somebody loses a job. Somebody's child has gone prodigal. A uh, cheating spouse. Um, or uh, a bitter fight that takes place among very close friends. Uh, they just need somebody there to be with them, to weep with them. I don't know what to say. Newsflash, nobody does. Because there is a lot of times nothing that you can say that's going to fix the situation, and we can't go into it trying to fix it. It doesn't say here in the word, fix the problems of your brother and sister. It says, be there with them. Weep with them. Just be there. Because oftentimes... This gets in the way and causes more problems than it solves. I'll be honest with you, speaking from experience uh, with my mother-in-law when she passed, I know that people mean well, but when, when you get that cliche text, um, you know, sorry for your loss, it really means nothing. It really doesn't. And I know there's not much you can say, but when you just use the cliche, it, it does come across cold to people that have gone through that. And... You're just better off not saying anything. And that's just my opinion. But I've, I've, I've seen it. I've seen it in the lives of people that have lost it. If you can't personalize something, if God hasn't pressed it on your heart to say something more personal, just know, be there. But the cliche stuff doesn't help. I can tell you that. Just be there. You know, we have emotional responses, which is very frustrating for me sometimes because when I see somebody cry, I have a hard time not crying which is really annoying, but we're programmed that way for a reason. So that people know that we're human. So people know that we have the feelings and understanding of what they're going through so that when they are weeping, we can weep with them. I'm going to tell you right now, I got a dog. I wish I didn't have a dog, but my kids love that dog. I don't. That dog's going to die someday, and I'm probably going to weep, but not for the dog. There will be no love lost with that dog, but I know that my kids are going to be heartbroken. And when they weep, I will weep with them. In fact, I thought the dog died <laughs> several months ago. My neighbor called me and said, uh, I think your dog's in the middle of the road. I'm like, Because oh. I was. I was thinking my kids are going to be devastated. In the back of my mind, I'm like. <laughs> but, I was, but I wasn't really thinking that as much as, oh, I'm going to have to tell the kids this. I go out there, and that idiot is just laying in the middle of the road. <laughs> Oh, so now I'm just turned to anger. Like, you got to be kidding me right now. Her collar battery died, so she went past the fence. <sighs> Talk about emotions going like this, that, 15 minutes. But I will weep with my children when they lose their dog. Of course, she's a mutt, and mutts live forever. And that dog will probably outlive their time in my house, and they will be out of the house, and that dog will still be there. But I told Jack, my son, he can take her with him wherever he goes. Dog can go with whoever leaves the house. Verse 16, be of the same mind, one towards another. Mind not high things, but condescend to men of low estate. Be not wise in your own conceits. Conceits. Uh, in the ESV, it says the same mind is to live in harmony. Listen, we are to have understanding. The same mind is to have understanding. It, 
and I like how the ESV says live in harmony because we don't all think the same. And we're not supposed to. We're not robots. We're not going to approach things the same way. We have four Gospels because we have four different perspectives. They all teach the same thing, but they have a little bit more detail than some of the others in how they viewed things. We should never try to look at a Christian that has to have a certain personality. We have some A, B, C, D, a mixture of any of those in here. We're all different. As long as your personality and my personality is bringing honor to God, it's not for you to change their personality. Some of us are more serious. Some of us are more excitable. And they each have their place in different situations that we're going to need those personalities. And there's a lot more detail we can go into that. We just don't have time. But it says, mind not high high things. Don't be haughty, is the way the ESV says it. But condescend or associate with men of low estate. You know, when you're not seeking to promote yourself over others, that you're willing to take the lower seat. If you are a, a boss or if you have been promoted and you're on the corporate ladder, that you're not high-minded, but rather this is a good time to be an example to those who are under you or somebody that you've been promoted over, that you're willing to at least go back down to those menial tasks that really aren't yours to do anymore, but you're willing to come down into that level and help out anyway and to be that example. This kind of speaks to that. You know, none of us here that are part of leadership, there's no task that is beneath doing. I can tell you right now, typically, if there's a toilet plugged, that guy in the corner, Harley, he's the one unplugging it. And if it's not him, it's Justin. You know, who wants to do that? Shouldn't we hire a janitor to do that? Nope. We're all servants. We all have jobs that need to get done. We do them. There's nothing that puts us or any person should have in their mind that they're above somebody else to do a, uh, do a job. Verse 17, recompense. <clears throat> no man, evil for evil. Provide things honest in the sight of all men. <clears throat> because of time, I'm not going to really go into a whole lot here. But the, the, what I want to take away from here is that we have a need to be, uh, need to have integrity. To have integrity. Innocent of wrongdoing. When you say you're going to do something, you're going to do it. When you say you're going to be somewhere on time, you're there on time. Not showing that your time is more valuable than somebody else by showing up late all the time. You're going to do what you say you're going to do. And integrity also means that I'm going to do the right thing whether there's anybody watching me or not. And if somebody happens to see what I'm doing, I'm gonna, they're going to see me doing honesty. I don't ever have to worry about somebody looking over my shoulder. Because whether somebody is or not, I'm doing the same thing regardless. I have integrity. Verse 18, if it be possible, as much lies in you, live peaceably with all men. If, being the operative word, if it's possible, you do so. We're not to be instigators. We're not to argue just for argument's sake. However, we are not to sacrifice truth and righteousness just for the sake of peace. Some believe peace has to be attained at all costs. However, that is not biblical. We do have things we have to stand on. When we're forced to compromise our faith and morals, that's where we stand our ground. And we fight against that. Verse 19, Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place to wrath. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. This is coming from Deuteronomy 32. We are to give seat of authority to Jesus Christ, to the Lord in heaven, for all vengeance. And quite frankly, this is going to get carried out. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord, is going to come in one of two ways. Even if somebody wrongs you and you want to act out against them, listen, vengeance will come upon them in one of two ways. 
Either one, if they're un if they're if they're unredeemed, they will spend eternity in hell. And then a lake of fire. They will have judgment. Far worse than anything you or I could do to them. Or two, the judgment will be poured out on Jesus Christ for that person. And they will be saved. They will turn to Christ, and the judgment that was rightfully for them will be poured out on his son. Either way, vengeance is the Lord's. But rather, we are to do what verse 20 says, if your, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him drink. For in so doing, you shall reap coals of fire on his head. All right. The idea here is, there's, there's two lines of thought. Either A, this idea of these coals, putting coals on somebody's heads kind of sounds weird. Um, one is that you're bringing a burning conviction to that person. By doing good to them, even though they don't deserve it, you are bringing a conviction that just burns in their soul that they can't do anything about. You're breaking them down with kindness, which is an attribute of love, of agape. Self-denial. You're denying yourself to do this. You're making him mourn the hurt that they've caused you, is the idea. The other one is that back in these days, you would lend coal from your fire to help start your neighbor's fire. So if you had some coal, you would lend them coal, they could start their fire, but in this case, you're doing it for your enemy. And, uh, you know, there's no better way to eliminate your enemies than by making them your friends. If anybody has uh, never heard of a, of a guy named Dan Bauman, uh, he wrote a book, it's called Cell 58. Very good. Uh, we heard him at uh, last year's pastor's conference, and he was in an Iranian prison, and he would be interrogated because they figured, oh, he's a spy. Just, I don't have time to go into the story. But basically, he kept asking his interrogator what his name was. And, he, and once finally the interrogator gave him his name, he said, now you are my friend. I know your name, and you know my name. We are now going to be friends. I want to be your friend. And of course, it took a long time for this interrogator to finally be broken down. But Dan chose in the midst of that, I'm going to make you my friend. There's nothing you can do about it. And he broke down that enemy and made him a friend in doing so. In the last verse here, verse 21, be not overcome uh, of evil, but overcome evil with good. To overcome means to conquer by. Do not be conquered by evil, but conquer evil with good. This verse really is kind of a summation of everything we've talked about today because if you think about it, overcoming with good means you're coming over well, what is good? God is good. That's what Matthew 19.17 tells us. And if we have the goodness of God in us, we have the love of God in us. 1 John 4.8. And if we have the love of God in us, it's because we have the Spirit of God in us, as we read in John 17 this morning. And the fruit of that Spirit is love, agape, self-denial for the sake of another. It's the only way to overcome evil and to live out the verses we covered this morning is by yielding to the Holy Spirit in our lives. So let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for having this time of reflection to go through all of these uh, different attributes and, and, and really uh, things that should be carried out in our lives if we call ourselves disciples of Jesus Christ. Some of these areas we, we can maybe have down really well, and some of these areas there might be something that we, we've really got to work on. I just pray for myself. Uh, whatever you've convicted me of, and for my brothers and sisters here, whatever may have really stuck out to them, that we don't just leave here and say, yeah, that was nice, I should work on that, but that, Lord, you would put it on our hearts to really go after these things, to become more Christ-like. 
so that we can carry out all these attributes. They'd all be things that we are doing on a daily basis. We pray for your strength. We can't do it ourselves. We need your spirit to give us the ability to do all things, and we can do all things through Christ, who strengthens us, and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. 14, I press towards the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. We're never to be static in our walks with Christ. We are always pursuing from glory to glory, moving forward, trying to draw closer to him and be more like him with each passing day, especially as the days draw shorter and shorter and his return is closer and closer. So uh, make that your goal as I make that my goal this week. Need prayer about anything? Come on up. Have a great day.